The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm John Janetta, and I bring you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and I'll be your host for the hour. Today, we're going to talk about making strategy count, and to help us have the conversation, we have with us as our very special guest, Mike Mortel. Mike is the director of the Strategy Counts Initiative at the Alliance for Children and Families in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we invite each of you in our listening audience to join in our conversation by calling 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. And you can also email questions to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org, leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Well, thanks so much for joining our show today, Mike. You know, we did post a brief bio about, uh, about you on the show's landing page, but I always uh, find it helpful, and I think our listeners do too, to um, just have you describe a little bit more about who you are um, before we dive into the topic at hand. Sure. Thank you, John. I'm happy uh-huh. to be here today. Uh, my background is really in uh, organization development and organization change. I have a master's in industrial organizational psychology, which most people aren't familiar with that, but it really focuses on the... Uh, uh, organizations and groups of people um, and how to get effective performance and motivation and impact. Mm-hmm. And I work at the Alliance for Children and Families and uh, really have this great opportunity to work on a project that's funded by the Kresge Foundation. And it's all about helping nonprofits be more strategic. And um, I, I don't know that... Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners probably are familiar with the Alliance for Children and Families, but I, I don't know that um, necessarily everybody is. I think, so I think it might be worthwhile if maybe we just took a little bit of time to talk about you know, who the Alliance is and sort of what, you know, what's the mission, what do you do? Sure. Um, the Alliance is a national network with uh, nearly 500 nonprofit organizations. All of them are human-serving organizations, and so they, they provide a variety of services and uh, things for communities and neighborhoods and uh, just a whole range of services. But what brings people together uh, in the alliance to be part of the network is that all of these nonprofits are really focused on being a high-impact organization and really having um, kind of a commitment to having impact and having results in their communities. And so... um it's a membership organization that agencies pay dues to belong, and then right. there's a variety of activities that are then available to members for that right. membership. Mm-hmm. And there are, uh, whether they're large national conferences uh, with uh, leading uh, speakers or thought leaders on uh, very timely topics, 
or there's uh, a variety of smaller workshops or um, more immersion-type experiences where you can go and visit uh, another high-performing performing organization really to, to learn more about what's happening and how they're doing things. So there's a whole range of opportunities to get involved with the Alliance for Children and Families. And to be perfectly transparent, I just have to say our agency is a member, has been a member for a long time, and it's probably one of the best ways we spend our money. Mm-hmm. Not an, I, And I wasn't paid to say that either, was I, Mike? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so um, before we get too much into strategy counts, um, because our show is ultimately about leadership, I always like to ask the people that I interview on this show uh, the same question at the very beginning to give us some insight into what you think about leadership, because I think that then sort of opens or provides a framework for the rest of the conversation. At least it gives us a better idea of your perspective um, as it relates to leadership um, and the rest of our conversation. And that question is, um, who would you identify as the best example of a high-impact leader? I think yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I, I actually think I'm going to point to uh, a leader that I had worked for uh, at a previous position, a uh, different uh, organization that I'm at right now. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she's a leader that uh, I think really saw her role as uh, as a leader. She really, the journey was never over for her. It, was, uh, it wasn't like she had achieved this, CEO position and, and then the work was over. But instead, she really um, took it upon herself to, to stay um, kind of on the edge of things and to be connected to uh, the people that were being served, the communities that were being served, and also uh, was willing to be challenged by um, things that she didn't know or wasn't aware of. And so I was in a position where I worked very closely with her um, at that level, and it, it was just really a, a pleasure to kind of watch the um, the leadership and the um, just the way she went about things and, and was very thoughtful about um, what decisions she was making and uh, it was it was a great experience very uh, very much a mentor for me wow that's great you know it's um, so it sounds like she was a, a continual continuous learner and connected closely to not only her staff but the constituents of your organization right mm-hmm well, great. So moving on to strategy counts. So let's talk a little bit about what that you mentioned it briefly when you're introducing yourself, but what, what, what is the strategy counts initiative and, you know, what, what led to it even existing today? Sure. Um, the strategy counts initiative, I think a good way to describe it or to frame it is to think of, of you know, most nonprofits, um, there, there's not a shortage of vision or, uh, or mission. Um, there's certainly not a shortage of, of committed volunteers or donors who are contributing to that great vision and mission. Um, there's a lot of dedicated staff. And so the, the challenge often for nonprofits isn't around what they intend to do. Um, the challenge is more when you look at the day-to-day, and there's often a gap between what the organization sets out to do and what it's really organized around, and then what occurs on a day-to-day basis. There, there can be some, some gap between that because of so many... Uh, funding requirements or reporting requirements or just the, the day-to-day pressure of not having enough capacity to, to really um, handle all the various things. And so the organizations um, start to get um, very narrowly focused and more focused on the operational side and, and become less strategic. And so 
that situation, which um, you know, perhaps some of your listeners are thinking, oh, I, I know a place like that, or maybe I work in a place like that, um, and, and that can happen in a for-profit environment as well, or in an educational setting as well. So sure. that situation is, is common, and, uh, and organizations can kind of move in and out of that, that cycle um, from time to time. But uh, essentially, that, that's really the, the roots of strategy counts. Is, uh, the idea was to uh, help nonprofits, if they were really going to achieve the type of impact and have the make a difference in the communities in which they're located, um, it seemed to make sense not to, not to necessarily um, only invest more resources in direct programming and direct services, but to instead really invest some resources into the capacity of the organization so that it could be more strategic and stay, take a step backwards and think um, and have a longer horizon in, in terms of um, how it does its planning and um, how it allocates resources. So, so that's really the genesis of strategy counts. And um, and what what were the opportunities within the initiative once you received the funding? And it was the Kresge Foundation, correct, that yes. provided the funding to get this going. It was the the uh, generosity of the Kresge Foundation, um, and it was an investment with the Alliance for Children and Families, and and they chose the Alliance for Children and Families um, as an intermediary partly because of the network that we have, and, and we were able to reach to our membership to identify um, sites. Um, the, the sites uh, had to apply. It was a competitive process to be part of this. And, and I will tell you that uh, there were far more uh, sites that were interested in being part of Strategy Counts to be a pilot site than, than there were resources. So um, I think we had over 100 applications um, and that we could only select 20 pilot sites. So um, once you were chosen as a pilot site, um, half of the group was really selected to do uh, something called a, uh, a chief strategy officer project, and that involved uh, that organization identifying someone either hiring from the outside or selecting someone from inside to become the chief strategy officer. Um, and, Position, you know, on the same level of a of a chief financial officer or a um, chief information officer, but really dedicating a person towards that that work of uh, not just defining the strategy, but actually helping deploy it uh, and making sure that the, the strategy moves into operations. Um, so that was one type of project. The other uh, was what's called a transformational project. So this did not require that they appoint a person to be a chief strategy officer, but rather that they would meaningfully and really at the core of the organization transform how they operate and what they do um, so that they would be more strategic and more long-term thinking and, and thus have more impact. Um, and what's interesting about the, the two projects is that um, we, we really didn't set out to, to try to prove one is better than the other, but rather we just looked at them as, as different approaches. Some organizations are better uh, situation, situated or better sized to have a, another C-level executive, a chief strategy officer. Others, uh, maybe they're at a, a point in their evolution as an organization where a transformation project is better. So it was not to compare one against the other, but rather both types of uh, projects really involved some transformation. But one had a, a specific person appointed as a, as a chief strategy officer. And... Um 
So Kresge made the initial, basically funded the project, but most of the resources came to the alliance and then were turned, basically pushed back out into your membership to 20 agencies who competed for and won the opportunity to either implement a a chief strategy officer project or a transformational project. Correct. Mm -hmm. And those agencies are all all over the United States? Right, they are. They... um uh, now, our membership is, is a little more, uh, there's a little more density of it on the Midwest, East Coast. So, um, just, I, I think it's probably more by, you know, following that distribution that more of our pilot sites are in the Midwest or on the East Coast. But we do have, we've got one in uh, Southern California and one in the greater Seattle area as well. And then from Kresge's perspective, and maybe you don't know the answer to this question, we would have to call Kresge and ask them, but... Why do you think that they funded it? Was it was it that you approached them and had such solid rationale for it that they were like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea? Or had they already was this already an issue on the map for them that they saw that there was a need for capacity building around strategy in the nonprofit human serving sector? I think it was the result of a of a dialogue of our um, our former CEO Peter Goldberg uh, having with uh, the Kresge Foundation over a period of time. I think the initial conversations probably weren't. Um, as clear as far as this is exactly what we need to do, but I, I think there was a kind of a comparing of notes and a, and a discussion of, you know, this, this phenomenon that nonprofits, you know, we, we rely on them, every community relies on the nonprofits to do some of that heavy lifting and, and to tackle some of the toughest challenges that, that communities face, and yet nonprofits are, are often um, somewhat overburdened or really focused on the daily operations and not as strategic as, as what they could be. And so I, I think in, in the early discussions between the Alliance and the Kresge Foundation, there was this sense of um, that there could be some work there, that we could do something around this. And so um, as they discussed, and they talked for quite a while around, about this, a number of, a number of months, um, the idea formulated of could we fund um, these Chief Strategy Officer positions out in in the Alliance membership and really test this and create some pilot sites. And so the idea grew from there. Well, Mike, this has been an interesting conversation, and I think we've done a good job of sort of laying the groundwork, so now we can start to dive into, um, you know, some of the specifics around what some of these projects have have been doing and what you've been learning as a result. So, But first, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue that discussion. So please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. I'm your host, John Janetta, and with me today is Mike Mortello of the Strategy Counts Initiative at the Alliance for Children and Families. Before we went to the break, uh, Mike was um, telling us about uh, the Strategy Counts Initiative and sort of laying a general found work for, uh, foundation for understanding what uh, that project is all about. And now I think uh, we're going to turn to really understanding more, more fully what's going on by hearing about a couple of the um, pilot sites. So, Mike, are there a couple that kind of come to mind that would show maybe a little bit of the diversity of the work that's happening? Well, sure. Uh, that's a good question, John. Um, I, I want to talk about one that's uh, located on the, in the northeastern part of the uh, country. And um, what's interesting about their project is that um, they really set out uh, to, they, they knew they had to go through some transformation, that the uh, environment in which they work, they, they primarily provide a lot of residential care uh, for youth and uh, have done some community work as well, uh, community-based services. But they really had a sense that they needed to uh, transform the organization. And so um, what they set out to do was to um, first kick things off with a, a study. They had a, a communications consultant come in and uh, as part of their strategy counts project. And they did an assessment both of the exterior um, to the organization, you know, board members and donors and, and uh, other leaders around in the, uh, in the market in which they serve. But they also did some assessments on the inside of, with staff and they were pretty sure, even in their proposal, that it was the exterior world that really needed uh, the work. And to their surprise, it was actually the in, inside the organization uh, is where the work was needed. And, uh, and it shifted, wow. and, and we're happy about that. Uh-huh. We're, we're happy that, you know, that they were, um, really uh, took the time to uh, do the assessment and then to, to change course. I think strategy... Is, is often about uh, gathering that information and then making an assessment and making a decision, making a choice. So just because they propose to do a lot more work on the outside, 
uh, on a communications strategy, uh, they realized they needed to change those resources and redeploy them internally. Yeah, that's uh, to me, that's a lot like just the process you have to go to to develop as a leader. You know, it's that, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, um, that idea of Johari window, you know, where you, you, there's four parts of you. There's a part that you know and everybody else knows, and there's a part that you know but other people don't know, and then there's a part that other people know and you don't know, and then there's a part that nobody really knows about. And so you have to be willing to kind of open yourself up to that feedback, and I think organizations that do that, especially who take the time to really um, scientifically and systematically assess and gather data and work from that data are really, gosh, light years ahead of everybody else who doesn't. And I think having an, an outside group, in this case having an outside consultant, um, help with that was helpful because, um, you know, too often maybe that news would be um, not something the internal staff could, uh, could gather properly and objectively or even share it, but having an outside consultant share that uh, really... Um, help the organization do the transformation, and it's it's been tremendous uh, the work that they've done. So that's that's one example of a uh, of a project. Great example. I, I could tell you about another one. Um, okay. There's one one um, actually uh, based in the middle mid Atlantic states, and um, what they are focused on is they recognize that uh, that. Again, the environment in the human services environment is changing and the nonprofit environments, both the funding levels and the types of services that are needing uh, that are being needed and, and just the the way they they interact with the counties and states with whom they contract. Um, and so what they decided, uh, they were inspired uh, by um, actually a local design firm that does uh, uh, electronics design and consumer product uh, design. Uh, to apply some things called uh, a set of tools called human-centered design. And um, it's kind of an unusual toolkit to apply to a human-centered or to a human services environment, but it essentially puts the, um, that end user, that client, that person uh, with whom you're working kind of at, at the center of the situation. Now, those who work in nonprofits would recognize that most of the services, most of the contracts, most of the, the way that we do our work, um, a, a lot of it is driven based on um, people that are writing the contracts, people that are, um, that are not the actual person being served. And so this, this whole approach of human-centered design really changes the focus and uh, asks that the organization, when you start to apply these tools, it, it, it asks that you... Um, view everything from the person receiving the services and build it around there, um, which is not always easy to do, but it's it no. led to some great insights. And that project has been successful too, I'm assuming. It, it has been. It's um, on, on many levels, both at the high organization level, uh, just as the organization starts to think about things, about who they should be, instead of being contract-centric or um, kind of the payer-centric, they're much more centered around the people that they're serving. Um, and it's, it's allowed them to have some conversations that they might not have otherwise had at the county level and at the state level and with other nonprofits um, because they have this different insight. And, um, and, and those other partners that they have, are, you know, have, have welcomed that and have uh, been very interested in some of that feedback. Um, 
Can I give you one more example from that organization? That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great, Mike. Another piece, um, so we've talked kind of at the macro level, at the organization level, but because they trained a number of staff within the organization in this this set of tools, human-centered design, um, they had a therapist um, and a case manager start to use this um, really within some of the sessions. And so uh, one of the things that's common in in these design settings regardless of what environment you're working in, is that people use, uh, tend to use whiteboards and they use uh, more graphics and drawing of things. And so um, the CEO of this organization described to me a, um, a therapy session where um, it was with the, the parent and a child. And uh, in, instead of having uh, the therapist just having a conversation, they each of them went to a a whiteboard, a section on this, this large set of whiteboards, and really took a few minutes to draw, you know, what do you hope for? What, what will it look like in several months? What, what are we hoping for? And they all kind of drew a different approach to it, and then they could talk about it. And the, the thing that was uh, powerful is that um, it, it's, a, it's a physical activity. It's, there's something visceral to it about drawing, and um, sometimes in drawing those things, What's being conveyed is is more than what those words would, uh, you know, if it was just a conversation. So it sparked a lot of good conversation, and they've they've uh, started to deploy that in other um, therapeutic environments. So the impact has far exceeded what their initial intent was. Right, both at the macro level, but also mm-hmm. in some cases with the um, in these in these individual sessions that they're having. Sure. Uh-huh. They found it this this whole application of human centered design um, to be very useful. That's really interesting. So you you've essentially collected quite a few lessons then from twenty different sites, right? And um, took the opportunity to make those lessons available to a larger audience by compiling a book. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. let's spend some time talking about that book now because I think. Um, you know, you've mentioned just a couple of examples, and it sounds like there's probably lots more. Mm-hmm. There are, and um, you know, we did um, uh, compile um, certainly not every lesson, but uh, at, at 300 pages, we had to stop it there uh, with sure. uh, with you know filling one book. But it really represents, I would say, um, kind of a, a midpoint because uh, the the project continues. It continues through this year, and this book was compiled about. Uh, it actually was published in, in December, uh, came out in January of this year, but um, it really represents some things that were written um, last spring and last summer. And so um, there's more learnings that are coming uh, as we proceed forward. But there's some, some great things in the book. And the title is Making Strategy Count in the Health and Human Services Sector. Mm-hmm. So who's, who's the intended audience? Uh, the audience really um, would be nonprofit leaders uh, at whatever level they're at, whether they're at a uh, senior leadership level, a director level, or um, board member, um, and also the uh, academic uh, environment as well, uh, both schools of social work um, at the undergraduate and graduate level, um, others that are, are looking to work in, in the nonprofit environment. Um, but we're also trying to approach, um, there's a good number of um, executive development programs uh, for nonprofit leadership. Sometimes they're run by a, a local uh, 
association of nonprofits or by a, a funder in a community. Sometimes they're based in, a, um, in an academic environment. Uh, so we're, we're approaching them to um, see if there's either uh, chapters of the book or uh, adopting the, the whole book for their curriculum. Um, and, and we've just started to do that. So I don't have any results on that yet, but we, we think that's a, another market. Yeah, we have uh, uh, the Nonprofit Association of the Midlands here, and they have a nonprofit executive institute that they operate on an annual basis. And strategy, of course, is a big piece of that. So I would imagine that much of the information in here would be very useful to that project or, or to the participants in the, pro in the program. And I think that the nice thing about the book, and um, I, uh, I have the advantage of I was able to serve as one of the, as one of the editors along with uh, Teen Hanson Turton, who is... Uh, from one of the pilot sites. Um, we got to serve as the editors, but really the contributors, the writers of this book, are the, are in, in most cases, it's the pilot sites, the people that are doing the work um, around strategy counts. And so the perspectives they share, I think, are pretty powerful and they're, they're uh, sincere and believable about the situations that they're facing, the opportunities, and how they handled it. Um, in one case, uh, there's an organization um, that was, was um, Mike, I'm going to jump in and interrupt you just real quick because I'm getting the cue to take a break. But right uh, hold on to that um, particular example because I think that will be really interesting. So we'll take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll hear more about um, the book, Making Strategy Counts in the Health and Human Services Sector, and some um, specific examples. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. I'm your host, John Janetta, and with me today is Mike Mortel of the Strategy Counts Initiative at the Alliance for Children and Families. Uh, before we went to the break, Mike, you had just started to tell, um, share some information about a particular case in the book, so I think maybe we should start there before you forget what you were going to say. Oh, sure. Thank you, John. Um, the example I wanted to uh, point out was uh, a, a situation where it, it was a, it's a nonprofit um, that uh, had been around 50, 60 years, uh, and you know, it had been doing fairly well. It, it started as in, with some residential uh, services it was providing, uh, but had transitioned into some community, community services, uh, had a school connected to it, um, kind of a, a whole range of things. But um, as a new CEO came on board, um, she discovered that um, there, there was more financial issues um, and, and just the, the budgets were much leaner than uh, maybe what she imagined just in, in looking at the, uh, the uh, annual reports and things. And, and so um, as she dove into it, she found, uh, you know, certainly no wrongdoing, no, no issues there, but just that there, there was not really enough... Uh, Things were so much leaner than she imagined, and uh, mm-hmm. it really required um, really looking at uh, all the different types of contracts they have and all the types of programs and to determine, can we keep operating all of these? So, um, I guess one of the insights that I would point to from this chapter, it would be chapter six in the book, uh, was using a tool called the, uh, um, sometimes it's called the mission margin matrix. Um, where you really map out your programs based on the, their high and low um, in terms of their fit to your mission, and then a high and low in terms of the margin from them. Some, some programs will uh, generate excess revenue that can be reinvested in the nonprofit. Others require a pretty heavy fundraising lift. And so through that, you can, you can map out all the various programs and start to determine where you need to go and make some pretty clear decisions. So that was one tool that they used. Um, I'll go a little further on, on that example is they also uh, really knew that they needed to look um, as they did some right-sizing and some changing of programs to get things turned around. They, they knew they had to address the whole organizational culture. So it certainly wasn't just a, a financial challenge that could be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they had to look at how do they train staff and how do they involve staff. And so they're using a, a trauma-informed model um, in this case, they chose the sanctuary model. Um, uh, there's others out there as well, but they chose that. And um, it's, it's more of an organizational culture model um, and, and less so of a, of a therapeutic model. Um, sometimes people think of it as a, a way of interacting with clients uh, only, but it really provides a context and a culture for the organization. And, and they've had some great results in this turnaround. So, you know, the... Um after they applied that matrix, did they end up closing some programs down? They did. They did. And there were some that um, I think they really couldn't see it at the moment uh, without using that matrix, but it became very clear that there were some that um, just required a, a really heavy fundraising lift that were not so aligned with their mission and um, coupled with some challenges that um, there were so few, such little utilization of the program, uh, the numbers of people in it that 
it just made more sense to, to shut a certain program down and, and have it be offered by some other partner in the community, um, which is often the hard thing to do. This, this gets to another point that um, just in working with this project over the last couple of years is that organizations and, and people tend to uh, have a very easy time of finding new things to do and, and exciting things to do. They have a much harder time deciding what not to do. And yeah. often we keep doing programs and keep doing things that really don't fit anymore and, and we, we probably shouldn't be doing. Uh, but it's, it's hard to have those conversations. And so we tend to just keep carrying them along. And did the work that they were doing on the organizational culture by, the, by implementing Sanctuary help with those conversations about closing programs down? Because, you know, a, a Sanctuary model or trauma-informed model has a certain emphasis on safety, making people feel safe. But when you're cutting programs, that's going to do the opposite, especially on the employee side. So how did, was it helpful well, in mitigating the, that? I, I believe it was, and, and they would, they would uh, say the same. Uh, because whether they deliberately and, and uh, uh, willingly cut those programs or if they just decided to, well, we'll just, we'll just keep running it as we are, there was, a, there was a point where um, they couldn't keep running it as it was. The, the, it was not financially vi viable. And so there was something was going to change um, just because they, they didn't have the funding to keep doing all these various things. So change was coming. I guess the choice was, is it on our terms and we do it sensibly how we think the best way to do this, even though it's painful, or do we just, you know, keep you know, driving full speed and hoping for the best. So th there is safety in, in um, being thoughtful about it, even though there's yeah. some pain to that. And I, and I suppose there was a certain amount of transparency about it too then, wasn't there? Right. I mean, Clearly it, there, yeah. there was. Uh, and there was also some, some logic behind it. There was some clarity about this was not uh, kind of whimsical, uh, unreasonable, why is this program going away? Uh, but th the numbers were shared that, Sure. This program um, doesn't have sufficient referrals, and when they are referred, the, it's difficult to get any insurance agreements to, to actually get paid for them. Um, you know, we've done these programs for quite a while, and um, and and other programs are are subsidizing that because we can't get reimbursed for it. So, you know, it, it was pretty clear and, and pretty transparent. So that was one sort of. Um a case that was highlighted in the book, and I know there's lots of others. So we had talked in the break that we don't really want this to be an infomercial for the book, but I think there's so much good information in here. It would be helpful to let our listeners know, you know, if, if they pick up a copy, what they'd be, you know, what resources await them. Sure. Um, yeah, I'll walk you through in a very high-level way. Uh, the first two chapters really kind of set the tone uh, for the, the whole idea that, that nonprofits are uniquely positioned to as they have been since the beginning of the nonprofits um, in this country, uh, that they, they serve a critical need. They serve a critical role, something that, that uh, the private sector doesn't and something that uh, education doesn't and, and um, that government doesn't, that nonprofits have a unique opportunity and a unique role. And, uh, and so it, it talks a bit about that. It, it talks a, a a fair amount about the history of the sector, of the human services sector, of um, kind of recognizing the settle house, settlement house movement, um, something that was really founded by uh, Jane Adams, 
and um, with Hull House, and also with the uh, beginnings of the Alliance for Children and Families um, over 100 years ago. So it talks about the history of those and some of the reforms that happened uh, at the federal level, um, you know, looking at the war on poverty and, and a whole variety of other programs. Um, but then it turns really to the future, and I, I particularly like the chapter that um, we had a number of people contribute to, but it really talks about how do you be the guardian of the future? How do you, as you're in a nonprofit environment, if you're the CEO or you're on the board of directors, how do you, um, in a sense, kind of stay out of the day-to-day operations, but keep your eye focused on what's happening six months, a year, two years out? And that's a hard thing to do uh, because usually the the day-to-day is more interesting and more, for some, it's more uh, demanding and more time-bound. Uh, that generative type of work is is kind of distant. So, so it talks a little bit about that. How do you do that and what does it look like? Um, uh, the book also has some examples of some turnarounds uh, of, of organizations. Um, we described one earlier that was kind of financially driven, uh, but there's others where they, they just realized their business model wasn't working that uh, and, and that there was major shifts coming, and so they kind of proactively uh, got ahead of the curve and made a major change um, and have grown and been very successful with the people they serve. Um, I, I would point to a couple other chapters that, that really get into the whole idea of the importance of culture. There's, there's, you know, I, we can't do this show without using the, the quote uh, that uh, culture eats strategy for lunch, yeah. breakfast, whatever the term is. It's uh-huh. been attributed to a variety of people, but, um, but that's we, we kind of built a chapter around that. And I think uh, one of the one of the writers in this um, talks about the idea of creating an alloy of strategy and culture in their organization, and um, the idea that. You really need to bring them together. And one of the things that I find in some organizations is that there's a, a sense that, you know, while strategy is important, the, the culture stuff is is the soft stuff, and we shouldn't worry about that. That's um, that it, it's it's um, that you don't get any return on that. It doesn't it doesn't matter. And I actually mm-hmm. have found through these pilot sites and, and my work is that. Um, Often it is it is the culture, you know, being deliberate about building the culture. An organization is going to have a culture whether you try to shape it or not. And the conclusion Absolutely. that a lot of these sites have come to is that it is it is better to be proactive and shape it, whether it's through uh, how you do your employee selection process, how you do your training and education and leadership development, how you. Um, uh, just a whole range of things, how you shape the culture of the organization. Um, and, and it needs to align, I think, too, with what your, whatever your value proposition is to the people coming to you for exactly. help. You know, if, if you're all about helping people to self-actualize or to achieve a certain level or better well-being on whatever, from whatever aspect, then whatever your culture is should sort of match to that if you're really going to be successful. One would hope. One would hope, uh, you know, the, yeah. the organizations that are... are you know, very hierarchical and very uh, uh, kind of decisions made at the top by a few. Um, that's often not consistent with what the organization is setting out to do about empowering people. Um, that's right. So, so you know, that that can be a problem. But if you're going to empower your clients, you're 
your people doing that empowering have to be empowered as well. I can't believe it, but um, I got the cue already to, that we need to um, take a short break or take another break, uh, Mike. So um, when we return, we will um, finish out our interview talking about um, what's next for the Strategy Counts Initiative and where people can get more information about your book. So please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858 244 8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hello, I'm your host, John Janetta, and with me today is Mike Mortell of the Strategy Counts Initiative at the Alliance for Children and Families. Uh, we were just talking about a book that uh, Mike has had the opportunity of helping to edit called um, Making Strategy Count. And, um, Mike, uh, you know, we were um, over the break, we were um, continuing our discussion. And, um, and I think uh, that with the time that we have left on our show today, it, may make, it might make some sense to, talk, to kind of circle back to the Strategy Counts Initiative, which is where the information that, and the lessons learned that, uh, comprise the, that now comprise the book, where that all came from. So um, what's next for the initiative, Mike? Do you see um, more lessons being learned and um, that, that there could be a volume two of, of Making Strategy Counts? Well, I, I'm not going to commit to a, a second book uh, that would be exciting to do because, in fact, there are so many more things that are being learned. Um, and, and so we'll see about a, a sequel to this. But 
Um, as far as sharing uh, the lessons learned, um, we've got um, some ideas in the works that uh, will allow us to do that. And, and the big thing I want to highlight is something the Alliance is uh, starting to articulate is that um, it's really the Strategy Council Initiative um, and other work that we've done has helped the Alliance start to identify, well, in a sense, what are those key things that happen in a nonprofit or, or don't happen that, that make an organization have the kind of impact they want to have? You know, if you were to take the, the lid off of the black box, if you will, and look inside a nonprofit and to see what's going on that, that helps them have the impact that they should be having or strive to have in the community, um, we've started to identify some, some key factors, or, or we call them the commitments. And, um, and, and I'll tell you a, a couple of them. Um, one that we referenced earlier is the whole idea of leading with vision and governing for the future, uh, making sure that your board and your, your senior leaders are, are not mired in the day-to-day. -day. They should be aware of the day-to-day, -day, but they really should be spend at least half of their time on things that are going to be a year out or two years out. And that's hard to do. It takes discipline, but it makes a difference. It really is. It's very difficult to do, but it does make a difference. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you one or two other ones uh, that we found uh, with these commitments is that really the, the whole idea of uh, engaging all voices. Um, I think the days of when, um, when uh, either a government entity or a, um, a nonprofit really can be successful in kind of dictating kind of how this is going to go uh, or how, how a program is going to run exactly and how, you know, what the compliance needs to be. When you talk about uh, the uh, individuals that are participating in the program, um, we're seeing a whole lot more that are um, really engaging the people that are being served so that they are um, much more a part of the decision-making process of how they will receive services and what services they would receive. And um, it's just a very different mindset than you might have seen 10 or 15 years ago where pretty much the, the funders said, this is how it's going to roll out. You know, if you're going to be part of it, here's what it is. Um, so I think you, you see this idea of engaging all the voices, and, and the outcomes are stronger because of it. In fact, there's a, there is a chapter in the book about that, isn't there, Con constituent mm -hmm. voice or the importance right. of that? Right, there is, and, uh, and we think that that's a, that's a key thing, and I think it it does set an organization apart. It's not, it's not um, the easiest thing to do, uh, but if you look back to the roots of the settlement house movement, um, it's really all there. It's kind of coming back to our, our past. Or, you know, the back future is really looking back to uh, how things um, evolved uh, you know, 100 years ago. When you think back about you know, what was envisioned for this project, when you came on board and um, sort of, you know, we're, doing your initial onboarding and looking at, you know, the proposal to Kresge and talking to people at the Alliance and um, members of the Alliance and sort of getting a, a full, you know, vision in your mind for what this was going to be. And then you think about where the project is now. How, how wide is the gap? Are we, are we there? Are, are, are there things we need to do to, to make sure we get there at the end? Or how, how would you describe that? I think, I think we're there um, in terms of, you know, the, the sites are running, we're getting lessons learned from them. Um, I think the thing where we're, we're some unexpected things, which are, are nice surprises, is that um, there was the expectation that really at the end of this grant from the Kresge Foundation that there would be a report written that kind of documented uh, what's happening, and then there'd be some dissemination of those learnings. Well, 
we learned very early on with all those applications that came in that those that were not selected to be a pilot site, they weren't going to be happy to wait three years to, to sure. find out um, what are the results. And so early on, actually, uh, within a few months of, of getting this started, we uh, held a, a strategy summit. It was really for the pilot sites and others who had applied. And we had uh, you know, over 75 people get together for a couple days really to dive into some of these topics of culture and how do you do this measurement stuff? And how do you do, uh, you know, keeping your eye on the future? And it was, I still get comments today, this was a year and a half ago, of people saying, wow, that was a, an incredible conference, you know, that, that strategy summit. Um, so we've accelerated the dissemination of the learnings. And, and really, there was no, uh, no idea in the original grant proposal that there would be a book. There was going to be a report about a year from now. But, you know, the fact that the, there's a, a book that's come out, I think we've exceeded... Um, what we expected. And, and I see more um, learnings and more things coming from this, more than we thought there would be. So if um, any of our listeners um, would like to, to you know, get a copy of Making Strategy Count, how would they go about doing that? Like, what would be the easiest way? Sure. Uh, one way they can uh, look at it is go to the Alliance website, which is alliance1.org, um, and it's listed there on the, on the front page, Making Strategy Count. They can also go directly to the publisher. That would be springerpub.com. Uh, you can also search on Amazon and probably any other um, website like that, and uh, it's available. So, and if um, people want to contact you directly, should they have any questions about making strategy, or, uh, about the book or about this the strategy counts initiative in general, how, what would be the best way to reach you? Sure. Uh, they could uh, email me. I'll give you the email. It's mortel at alliance1.org and Mortel, I'm sorry, it's uh, M Mortel, so M-M-O-R-T-E-L-L at alliance1.org. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Mike. I really appreciate it. The time just flew by. It always does, but it especially seemed to fly by today. Um, and I think it's just because the topic is just so timely and helpful. I, I think every leader, at least every leader that I know, whether they're in a um, human-serving um, nonprofit or not, it talks about strategy, understands the importance, but just struggles trying to figure out how do I, how do I make the time, find the time to really do this because half the time I feel like I'm running around because my hair is on fire with an emergency that has to be taken care of. And then, you know, when all that's done, you know, where's the, where's the time left and the energy to really look a year or two out or even longer? I uh, just am having so much, you know, having so much difficulty addressing the day-to-day. -day. Right. I think it's, you got to build it in every week, every day, a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, and I appreciate uh, your leadership um, to, um, to drive this initiative and also to make those lessons that you're learning and the pilot sites are learning accessible to uh, everybody else who shares that interest and that passion about strategy. Great. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate the conversation today. And I would encourage your listeners to um, get in touch with us at the Alliance, and uh, we'd be happy to, to talk a little bit more about what we're learning and um, how they can start to apply these things. Uh, we'd be happy to talk. Great. Well, thanks so much, and, and thanks to our listening audience for tuning in. Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or 4 p.m. Central Time for Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions.
Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Thank you.